Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Membership fees apply after free trial. Cancel any time. Guys, you know why it's so much harder to get in awesome shape after 30? Because you're still thinking about workouts like you're 18. As you get older, you need to work out smarter. And Beachbody, the company that revolutionized getting ripped at home with P90X and Insanity, now has a new program just for you called Lift 4. It's part lift, it's part hit. With total body shredding results in just 30 to 40 minutes a day, right at home on the Beachbody On Demand app. Go to Beachbody.com to sign up now and you can try Lift 4 free for 14 days. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera, joined this week by Kate the Legend, Riley James. Oh, <laughs> and, and Les Roberts. Yeah, I don't know where I would have gotten that, uh, that, uh, that name from, Kate. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, and joined by Les Roberts as well. Uh, how's it going, guys? How are things Says in the slowly thawing lockdown world that you're, you're now presently occupying? <laughs> All right. I think I've, I've finally, finally lost count of how many days it is. I'm in the 60s somewhere, I think. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I don't really know. Um, and I've like, I'm just finding new ways to entertain myself. Like telling the kids we were going on this awesome walk today when in actual fact we were going to school to pick up homework packs. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm done. I'm sick of baking. Um and I've I've pretty much binge watched everything I wanted to watch on Netflix. So yeah, yeah, here we are. Yeah, things are alright for me. I like I like being called Neat Guest on this afternoon. <laughs> that's pretty good. I'll take that as my middle name. In fairness, you called yourself Neat Guest, but I that's, didn't. Call, that's, I didn't. <laughs> that's just okay. came up. Oh, okay. So, oh, well, is there right. some story? Is there some story I don't know from one of the other podcasts that I haven't listened to? No, I, I, that was nothing to do with me. It just came up and said that. That's really strange. Well, mine automatically said Kate the Legend as well, coincidentally. Uh, so yeah. imagine. So Here I'm, we are. I'm also I am also happy to be on a free to wear podcast. Yay! I'll be, I'll, I yeah. like the free world. I know. Welcome to uh, episode two of uh, the big time kickabout. Now, yeah, uh, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm normally kept behind the paywall, not because of any sort of better content, <laughs> just extreme profanity more than anything, I think. 
Well, I look. I I I I. I'd like to say that I was just a hardcore negotiator and used all my skills, but really, I just I, at a certain point, I just decided to ask uh, Matt and Dave and Patty if uh, we could bring the kickabout into the into the free podcast world, just so that m- more people can hear the inane ramblings of this host and 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 his guests. So, yeah, well, look, I mean, see, the thing is, so even on the weekly shows, they, they put me on subs weekly, never on the weekly. Just, just oh. keep me out the way of the public, which is probably not a bad thing. Here we go. Here fair. we go, guys. For those of you who've never heard Les Roberts before, he is about to start the airing of grievances. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's, and... it's not that. It's not that at all. I'm just saying it's for the best. It really is for the best. Well, you can't because HR are on furlough, so tough. Oh, there you go. Look. Look, guys, we're all trying to get out there as much as we can. Uh, you can take your you can take your complaints to management, Les, and uh, I will certainly you can you can cc you can cc on cc me on that email to Blue Room HR. That's totally fine. Uh, I will back you up. But uh, well, guys, uh, if you are listening to this podcast uh, uh, and are not a Blue Room subscriber and you're just listening to it on the free feed for the first time, welcome. This is actually our second episode on the free feed. And for those of you who've never heard it before, um, you know, I, I, I suppose I could describe what this is, but I think actually it would be a better exercise to give you all a chance, like Les, if, if someone said to you, um, okay, so you guys have this Blue Room podcast sort of, I, I don't know if you call it a network or what have you, but we have all these different shows that, that are for different things. Like, you know, we have a weekly show, which is very much talking about Everton and, you know, football in general. And then uh, you have some of the specialty shows like uh, that are that are on the subscriber side. Like the mailbag, et cetera. But, but I guess that we, as a free podcast, the free podcasts are generally defined by their function. The weekly show is a weekly discussion of Everton and all things around it. Uh, uh, the post-match is exactly what it describes. It's a post-match podcast, right? What would you... <laughs> What would you describe the kickabout as? <laughs> on the spot here. I would say if you love Seinfeld, you will love the kickabout. Oh my it's god! A, it, it's a pod about nothing. It's a pod about nothing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, Mike Diasha made fun of me last week uh, by saying that we wouldn't make it more than uh, five minutes into the podcast before someone used the word Seinfeld to describe it. I, I don't know that we're really like Seinfeld, but there is definitely the notion of a podcast about nothing that that resonates here. Uh, Kate, how would you describe the kickabout? Um, I mean, if we're going to stick with the, um, you know, with with the, the TV show uh, references, I don't know. I'd liken it more to. Frasier, personally, I feel like this is like a form of therapy, Rob. When when, oh. you, when you get me on to uh, to kick about, oh. I feel as if I've I've got stuff off my chest. I've had a bit of a moan about stuff, and uh, yeah, I generally feel a whole lot better having having been involved and then listen to it. Kate, Kate is absolutely the Roz of this podcast. Uh, yes. No question. <laughs> she, which by the way, she was clear, clearly positioning herself to be the Roz of the podcast when she made that comparison. Yeah. Well, Maris doesn't even make an appearance. I mean, Maris is fictional for all we know. I mean, there is no Maris. There is Maris, and she's like Schrodinger's cat or whatever. Like, it's and there, I, but it's not. You don't really know, but that's, yeah. That's and I'm too too gobby to be Daphne. 
So if I fancied Niles, I'd have just told him. I wouldn't have dragged it on for 12 series. So If it makes you guys feel any better, you all sound like Daphne to me. So ah, just... <laughs> such lies. <laughs> um, yeah, so for those of you who are listening for the first time, you know, first and foremost, welcome. Um, look, we this is a... The Blue Room, of course, is made up of of blues, you know, people who are united together by their shared love and misery of Everton. Um, I, I would say, too, that The Kickabout is a show with people who are uh, who are part of that membership talking about whatever happens to be on their mind that week. And Everton, you know, in the Venn diagram of subjects, uh, Everton does squeeze in there. And we absolutely, especially when there's actual football going on, we, we definitely talk about Everton sometimes, but uh, we're just as likely to talk about uh, you know, to, to Les's point, uh, the show about nothing, uh, we're, we're, we're likely to get off on a variety of non sequiturs that may only entertain us, but, uh, <laughs> we, we have found that people seem to laugh at, laugh at whatever weird subjects we get on. So anyway, that's, that's, that's the kick about it's, it's, it's exactly as random as it sounds. So I uh, welcome along for the ride. Um, so guys, normally I pride myself on this podcast being something where we just start talking and we see where it goes and, and that'll certainly never really change. But I did earlier this week when I asked the two of you to be on and, and for those who are new listeners, Les and, and, and Kate are, are two of the staples, two of the foundational pieces. They are, you know, the, the Mason Holgate and Calvert-Lewin of this thing. I'm being um, <laughs> yeah, I'm reserving Richarlison for myself or maybe Yari Mina just because I love him. But yes, uh, that's that, that's absolutely true. But I did ask them earlier this week um, just to and this was more of just a question making conversation. But then it turned into something I felt like we could talk about. But I asked them if they have seen um, the documentary series that has just concluded here i think it may have been released all as 10 episodes over there on netflix but uh the very popular very much talked about uh somewhat controversial over here podcast or podcast uh documentary series called the last dance uh the last dance for those who have not uh, heard about it by now, which if you're on social media at all or you've used the internet at all, it feels like you would have heard about it by now. But The Last Dance is was is a 10-part series. It's a collaboration between ESPN and Netflix to do a an examination of the final of uh, the Chicago Bulls championship teams of the 90s, you know, in the decade where they were uh, not only dominant, but they won six out of the 10 titles. They were, uh, they won three in a row twice. Uh, They are widely regarded as the greatest basketball team ever. There is some debate about that, but for my generation, they're clearly the best team ever. Um, but one thing that I think is even less controversial to say is that they were led by uh, the greatest basketball player ever and arguably the greatest professional athlete in the world ever. And again, that conversation is, you know, is a very narrow one that involves guys like Messi, <laughs> involves guys like uh, Wayne Gretzky, uh, involves, you know, certain track athletes uh, that have maybe won gold medals across, you know, multiple Olympics. I mean, they're very, it's a very short conversation, but part of the reason that the 
documentary series was so appealing was that you didn't really have to be into sports to really get into it because it's not so much just a hardcore sports documentary. It's a time capsule of the 90s uh, in some ways and the 80s because it does track back throughout uh, Michael Jordan's uh, entire lifetime and his career. Uh, But it also is a documentary about what greatness looks like and the ugly sides of it, the the struggle, uh, the fact that you don't, you know, not every, not the greatest players, uh, the greatest athletes ever don't just walk into a situation and automatically win. Uh, as much as we like to think it's as simple as that, um, you know, Jordan and the Bulls went through a period of banging their head against the wall against uh, teams that were better than they were uh, until they, you know, and so it's really, it's, it's, it's a documentary that in many ways is about basketball and about Michael Jordan, but is about so much more. Um, Kate, uh, I know I, I, I challenged you and Les just to watch one episode with the idea that watch one episode, get a taste for it, see you know, see if you like it. It's sort of like asking someone to try you know, <laughs> like you know, try a bite of this and see what you think. And if you want to eat the whole thing, go for it. Uh, Kate, I, I challenged you to do. I challenged you both to do that and. Did you end up going binging 10 hours of that in like three days? Like, tell me a little bit about about your experience yeah. and your reflections on this. Yeah, so 10 hours in two days. Um, I just, I couldn't stop watching it. I, yeah. it it's just, it, it really is absolutely fascinating from loads of different standpoints. A few of which you've just mentioned there. So first off, I, I was born in 82. So sport in the 90s was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Whilst I was at school, I remember, you know, Euros and World Cups and Olympics and all of that going on. So seeing the footage from that, is is just incredible it throws you straight back to where you were at the time you know how old you were and, and it's a kind of like a, a reminder of how much um sport plays into culture into popular culture um so that was the first thing so i i, I realized very quickly that you can't watch this documentary and do anything else you can't do anything else hmm, so yeah. as, as a writer the first thing I was like, okay, that's cool. I'll stick it on the background. And uh, as Les does with work as well, you know, you kind of look up and you can hear what's going on. No. So binge it because you can't do anything else for 10 hours until you watch the entire <laughs> thing. So take that on as, uh, on board straight away without any spoilers. Um, but yeah, so having, you know, I, I know who, uh, I knew rather who Michael Jordan was in, in 92 and then Paris. I remember that shot of the of the, the massive kind of like billboard that's like the size of, of the building in central Paris with with his picture on, you know, full, uh, full bulls get up and everything. I, I remember that um, despite being relatively young at the time. I was only 10. Um, and I, I just thought, the, the, I love the soundtrack. I love oh yeah, the, the music. Oh, the music away. is so, and I'm sure the the soundtrack's on Spotify somewhere. Oh, but me. the music was fantastic from the like selections of pop and and R and B and rock and whatever they played that was very much of its of that time. Yeah. But even like the the theme music at the beginning of every episode was like yeah. gave me the goosebumps. Yeah. And, and I loved yeah. that. So, you know, but I, you know, I wondered too, the way you're describing it, I, I was, I guess I was probably hopeful that people who weren't necessarily into basketball or even that familiar with American sport would find something in this documentary to be interested in. Uh, you know, Les, I, I will turn to you on this too. Like, I think part of my fascination as well, and 
so much of this podcast and, and really all of my interactions with you guys is a cultural exchange of ideas. And so there was a, uh, you know, sometimes uh, more elegant uh, than others, frankly. But uh, th- look, I, I was curious, like, is this just such an American thing that it would not hold any interest for those of you who are, you know, who are from the UK or from anywhere else? But I always I always got the impression growing up that Michael Jordan was part of his being transcendent was that he was known everywhere. His greatness was understood everywhere, even if you weren't familiar with the sport in the way that like Messi is or, you know, Ronaldo or someone else like that. Am I am I on the right track there? I know you've watched, I think, maybe one episode of this so far. I'm not sure. Yeah, I've done two episodes now. Um, oh, good. But yeah, for me, I mean, the thing that's surprising for me, and it might surprise you to learn, I don't really like sports, to be honest. <laughs> the only sport I like is football and I don't really like that that much and I hate right. it so you know um, <laughs> yeah so I'm not like I'm not big into like um, sports documentaries sports autobiographies anything like that but as soon as I started watching this it immediately ripped me obviously I knew about Michael Jordan I knew about Scotty Pippen I knew about um, Dennis Rodman they're all names that were growing up in the 90s as Kate said they were all household names even if you weren't really into basketball you were aware of these characters, but it was just so gripping from the start. It's a story that you, I don't, I don't know how or why, but you want to know more about it. You want to know what the big, the big thing for me was um, when you sort of on the first episode you see the sort of his progression from college. Is a college basketball he starts off? Yes, yes. And then he gets signed up to the Bulls, and then he he, he goes into that room. He says like they were known as like a party hard team, basically. Walked into a room, he goes, you know, there's the, 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 the liners over there, I think he said. He said, there's yeah. over there, there's girls over there. And he, at 21 years of age, he immediately was like, nah, don't want any of that. And you just think that was a proper tipping point now. Because a lot of 21-year-old fellas could have walked into that room and gone, yes, I'm having some of this. But would never have had that career because you can't marry the you couldn't You couldn't reach the height that he reached and go down that path of those distractions that it's of a lot of other players fall into. And I'll just touch upon this now, but it, it made me think of Wayne Rooney. Uh, yeah. Thought he, he's, he's the one player I've, I've, I've ever known about in my, certainly in my lifetime. who has got that much raw ability and raw talent, but was easily distracted at teams. So he's never, so mm-hmm. while his career sort of tails off now, as he approaches his mid thirties, Cristiano Ronaldo was still going because he is that machine who's like, I'm not having any of these distractions. I'm focused on doing this. And it just, the whole well, thing. Ronaldo has some distractions, clearly. He does have some, he does have some distractions. <laughs> which, which you know what I mean. Let's not, gl- let's not gloss over yeah. Las Vegas, but yes, I, I but think he, your point. But he, as an athlete, he's very focused on being the best he possibly can be and works hard yeah. to do that. Um, whereas you get, the, you get the impression that Rooney was just a bit too partial to everything else uh, going out on the aisle and, you know, things like that. But yeah, it, the story properly gripped me from the start, even down to the fact that it said, you know, they, they weren't even the biggest draw in Chicago at the time, the Bulls. Yeah. And, I, you know, he, he played second fiddle to a couple of other sports, like the, the five-a-side team, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a dead intriguing story. Yeah, I... <sighs> I think that that was something, Kate, I found so interesting in this, too, was this um, this notion that I think sometimes when we think about athletes or, or musicians or art, you know, any 
person who's famous and and they're largely regarded as great, we're so focused on their current greatness that it feels like they've just always been great and that they were, you know, that, well, they were probably lucky and maybe there's some of that in there too, but that they were put into these ideal situations. I mean, if you had grown up, if you grew up in the same time frame as, as me, uh, it's like it was hard to remember as the Bulls were in the midst of the of their winning titles that they were ever not great. You know, like it's hard for people to think of when the the New England Patriots weren't great or when. <laughs> I mean, though you look at City and now it's easy to remember for those of us who grew up not even that long ago when City wasn't very good and like, but but the Bulls had that effect where they were built from the ground up slowly and. What's interesting about Jordan, too, is that, um, you know, you make that comparison to Ronaldo. It, it does. And, and to Rooney, even less. It, it sort of begs the question, too, of like, uh, you know, Wayne Rooney won a lot of trophies and he was at, at his peak really great. But you you look at him now and you, there's a part of you that can't help but wonder when you, you view it through the lens of someone like Jordan who acts absolutely maximized every ounce of talent he had in terms of achievement. You look at guys like Rooney and you wonder, didn't he leave a lot lot, lot on the table in terms of, of what he could have accomplished if he hadn't you know been so distracted by, by everything? I think that's the thing with Jordan too is that Jordan uh, Jordan had – distractions he is you'll see as this thing goes on he he had distractions quote unquote in the form of like his love of of gambling which becomes a big storyline later into the documentary uh he was uh he loved to golf but really he was incapable of doing anything um in terms of competition that was casual like if he was golfing with you he wanted to he wanted to destroy you if he was if he was doing some game, like I think there's some locker room game where he's tossing this thing to see who can get it closest to the wall. Like, and he's, he's always betting like $10 or $20 on, like he doesn't care. He wants to win. And it's that sort of ruthlessness. And let's be honest, as you'll see, as it goes on pettiness, like Jordan manufactured, slights against him he he straight up lied to people at times about a player saying something to him and therefore deciding that that player was going to get destroyed by him in games and he always backed it up and so it, it begs the question is is the price of true greatness as much as we love to focus on our favorite musicians or our favorite athletes uh who are quote-unquote nice guys um, is there is there an argument to be made that it's it's being completely nice is almost incompatible with total greatness? You know, Kate, what do you? I, I, I you've seen the whole thing now, and you saw like Jordan's kind of an asshole, like not kind of an asshole. He is an asshole. Like, there's no there's no getting around that. He's an asshole. Like like yeah. what what did you think about that in in comparison to his achievements? Yeah, I thought I thought it was um, quite telling that after all of this time that his teammates you know didn't pull any punches. They they outright would say he was a bully. You know, and that he he went hard, and you saw from the footage he was relentless. If you were having an off day, he was going to remind you of it every single opportunity he had. But he'd do that through training, and then he'd do it on the court. That wasn't just him pushing you, you know, to get there and to do it. He'd push you until. 
that that you know that that final uh the you know final you know whistle or the, whatever it is that goes off yeah. on the court over there <laughs> you know that's that's it and he and then the minute that that's over then he starts pushing you for the next you know for the next game yeah. and uh, what i thought was really interesting is that it gives you a look at obviously his teammates his relationship with phil jackson the coach um no love lost between him and jerry um but oh. also you get a look in there at his mom you know at his mom and dad and what you know what his, his home life was like when he was younger and whilst you can see that his mom and dad encouraged him and you know and his dad in particular obviously didn't take any messing around but he didn't come across as a really hard man his father, he just came across as a really, you know, as a good dad who was like, listen, you're going to have to switch up your ideas here and, yeah. and get on with things. And you would almost expect that at least one of his parents was a badass and was like, you're going to go all the way and I'm going to push you. And, you know, when you get like these pushy parents who are on the sideline, like giving it loads at the kids and stuff. Yeah. And I kind of expected to hear that either his mom or his dad had been like that driving force, but it's just him. Mm. It is literally just him. So, it, and then like his security around him, they're there to protect him very much. And there's, there's one member of, of his security, Gus, who is like a father figure to him, but at no point is any of it documented where they're like, you know, you can do this, Michael, because he does it all himself. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really astute observation there. Like there are, we always talk at times, especially like we, I was on the transfer show the other day talking about, um, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing for these players to be completely, re you know, be responsible for helping themselves develop, but the club has to play a yeah. part in that too. Uh, everything from the way they try to develop them through training to psychological motivation, all these. Hey, and let's be honest, there, there are a lot of these players because of the backgrounds they come from, um, the, you know, the socioeconomic factors there, the, the kind of nature of team sports who didn't grow up necessarily having some idyllic childhood with, yeah. with, you know, parents who uh, motivated them in traditional ways. And so they have to be, you know, especially those, those at the highest level, they almost have to be completely self-reliant in regards to motivating themselves. Exactly. And this is why I, I draw this comparison because with Les talking about Rooney there, is he, does Michael Jordan then make the case that you can surround yourself, even as a youngster, because I've, I've often talked about, you know, when Rooney used to do the, the press conferences with Moyes and it used to be, yeah. No, yeah. yeah, do you know what I mean? So in terms of your media yeah. training and that type of thing, does Michael Jordan then prove a point in there as as an athlete, as a youngster in particular, you can surround yourself with the very best team and you can have a family who are 100%, you know, behind you, supportive, you know, but not adding all of that pressure. Can you have all of that and still not reach your potential because it's got to come down to you? It's got sure. to be what's going on in here. Yeah, Les, you, Les, you're a coach. I, I'm sure you have some thoughts on this too. But like, it, it does feel at times like with athletes at the highest level that it's it is a combination of of natural ability, uh, the surroundings, but also let's be honest, uh, you know, circumstances breaking just right in terms of where you go and who your coach is, and you know, like as Jordan is is self made for sure in, in most ways, but. He did benefit from, you know, certain things as well. I mean, Kate, Kate, I would probably say that to your point, I, his father wasn't hard driving, but he was withholding a, of mm -hmm. approval at times. And I think that motivated him too. But I was a driver. Yeah. You know, Le Les, you're a coach, you're, you're a dad, like, uh, you know, uh, how do you view what you see? Uh, and I know that you're, you're coaching younger, younger kids at a certain stage of development, but you know, what's your, what's your insight into like what it is that molds an athlete into being 
the best version of his or herself? I think the first thing is having confidence in yourself. So that's that's the thing. When you're coaching young kids, that's that's the first thing you need to get across to them, that they need to have confidence in their own ability. Even if their own ability isn't that good, you need to be confident about doing certain things to get to a certain level. So I think there's that, there's that self-confidence that, that you need first and foremost. And then that sort of drives everything else. So if you think there are two telling quotes in that first episode, there's, there's one where the guy says, uh, Michael Jordan's the only athlete I've seen who can turn it on and off. He just never turns it off. Yeah. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. And then, you still there? Yeah, we're still there. I got you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Les, you can turn your camera off. It's fine. We can hear you fine. <laughs> Does you get me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yes. sorry, yeah. And, and then there's the other one where the, the source of the award ceremony for the fifth title, and there's the famous one where, you know, he's asked about what he thinks about winning the fifth. He goes, well, we're going to win the sixth next. And it's that it's that drive that you, you can see that he's got. And you don't... I mean, obviously, I've never, I've never worked with anyone who I think will ever become an elite athlete. But you do see lads who are much better and much more confident than the others in their own ability. Sometimes, even if they've not got the actual ability, they'll try stuff that the others won't just because they're so confident. And I think that's 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 the biggest driver that I've noticed behind the difference between a decent player and a really good player. Because it, it, you know, you, you've got to have that confidence in yourself that you can pull something off. And then don't beat yourself up about it if it doesn't work. So that's, you know, that's that's sort of my sort of biggest take on that. I reckon. Yeah. Well, and and with Jordan too, like, and it's Jordan is the center of the universe of this documentary. Um, no question. They they highlight other stories as well, and there are so many compelling characters, and we mm-hmm. certainly don't have time to go through it all. You've just got to watch it, but. You know, with Jordan being the center of that universe in such a way that he was the sun and everything else revolved, you know, revolved around him. Um, you know, I think one of the 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 quotes, and I'm paraphrasing here, that one of the players said was that, you know, Michael would berate you uh, into in practice and in games into getting uh, up to his level, and if you if you weren't willing to take that challenge, then he was done with you. You had no time for that. And he said, the guy said, but the frustrating thing that Michael doesn't always understand and what a lot of people who are great at what they do don't often understand is that they can't, the the other people around them that they're trying to berate into that can't get to that level. You know, Jordan was this explosive athlete, but he also worked so hard at be going from being a great athlete to being the greatest player, and that that the that 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 then necessitated for him to achieve the things he wanted in a team sport to essentially instill fear. And and by the way, the psychological warfare aspect of all of this is really interesting too, Kate, because we were talking about this notion that certain athletes are able to create an intimidation factor or a fear mm-hmm. factor. You know, Jordan did that with his own team. But as we see, and, and, and as you see, as you go deeper into the documentary and you explore some of these uh, playoff series and these big games that he was in, Jordan's ability to intimidate his opponents, even when, even, <laughs> you know, even before the, the ball even tipped off, um, or, you know, even at, at halftime, just by saying something to them, mm-hmm. uh, was something that I don't think you can fully appreciate until you see a series like this, because so much of what we see on TV 
is the sanitized version of sport, right? It is very much, you might hear, you might see a gesture here and there. You might see two players kind of bump up to each other. But what was so special about the access that they had from a video perspective and a filming perspective of this was to see the uncensored version of how he talked to people, um, you know, how he confronted people. And it, it, it suddenly makes you appreciate how much, um, a great athlete not only uses his ability uh, physically, but uses his his ability from an intellectual and a psychological perspective uh, to really, you know, frankly crush his opposition. Yeah, w- without a doubt, especially when you get further on into the documentary without without any spoilers. This is all obviously historical yes. events that yes. have happened. <laughs> oh my God, Les, hurry up and watch the rest of the movie. <laughs> um, when they play the Pistons... That is yeah. an absolute gear change. And mm. you can imagine having, if you've ever played any sports in your life, I'm going to hark right the way back to school and playing, I don't know, probably netball against in like into school type of thing. And there'd always be that one school that you're like, oh, we're totally going to get our asses kicked here, you know, and you can't get into that mindset even then of like, we're going to go, you know, we're going to smash it. Everything's going to be fine. But because they're such a physical team, this is not just, you know, like up here. This is not like, right, headspace. This is having to like, you know, start lifting and stuff for some of the team to be able to hold their own. Yeah. And something else I thought was was really interesting because I've never I've never actually sat down and thought, right, I'm going to watch an NBA game. It, I just haven't. I've known about it from that pop culture kind of thing growing up in the 90s, you know, Jordan, Nike, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm probably going to get ripped for saying Nike now as well. I meant Nike, obviously, <laughs> for anybody who's going to at me on Twitter after this. Rob's looking really confused because you and I know it's Nike, but this is yeah. Liverpool and it's Nike, Nike. because they Nike. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the first English word that you guys have gotten wrong. You're a massive wall, you know that. (laughs) It's Nike when you've worked for the brand, you know. Anywho, um, so yeah, something else that I thought was really interesting, um, and having never actually sat down and watched a full game all the way through, is 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 how one how fast paced, but again, I was quite surprised at just how how hard going it is in terms of like the physicality. So seeing Dennis Rodman, the size of him getting absolutely battered to the floor in, in like in a quarter, three, four, five times. And yeah. I'm sure it didn't happen very often, but I loved how the mindset changed when they played certain teams and, and the Pistons being one of them in particular. Um, and again, you know, you, you would have had to have drawn from that kind of mental capacity, you know, to find that whatever that little inroad was, whether it flicked a switch for you to say, right, we're going to smash this now or whether it's literally coming nose to nose with another player who's just fouled you you know for for whatever reason it is um and to be able to some of the words that michael jordan mouths in some of that footage are quite choice shall we say yeah for this yeah. free podcast <laughs> yeah look we we, pro- we promised matt we promised matt jones no hard f's on this show <laughs> <laughs> i mean if it kind of is casually said without like <laughs> mother um you, you know, that's I think that's fascinating because I do think that a documentary series like this will probably get people who weren't interested maybe in watching Definitely. the NBA into try, at least checking it out. The, the one caveat I would I would explain to people na- of what the NBA looks like now versus what it did back then, and they mentioned this in the documentary, back in the, the, the mid to late 80s, especially in the early 90s, it, the NBA... Uh, the referees were very much in that kind of way we talk about the, you know, we hate the litigious refs in, in Premier League games who just 
over officiate and blow a whistle yeah. for every ticky tack thing. Well, that didn't exist then. As you saw in that Piston series, it looked like tackle football is what uh, it looked like no. at times. It was brutal. Mm-hmm. The NBA now is a much more, uh, you know, smooth, you know, finesse sport. Uh, the They still call it fouls and there's still definitely physical play, but nothing to the extent of the, oh, uh, the, the hunger. <laughs> well, you got to understand that the, the late '80s, early '90s was like such a Hunger Games yeah. of a sport that that careers were shortened and guys couldn't last as long in an environment like that. Yeah. But but what was interesting about that was the physical challenge of of having to get beat by teams like that is what sharp is kind of that iron sharpens iron thing that Jordan yeah. learned is that look we have to get bigger and tougher but we also have to get smarter and that's also when he began to realize that while he could take over games by himself that he couldn't win that way and yeah. so he had to he had to get other guys to to step up and obviously you have to get lucky with the guys who are on your team but um, a, a few other notes and, and I want to move on to talk about maybe some other documentaries you guys have seen that are, are also just amazing but Before we ruin it for Les. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mentioned I mentioned before, and I'm not going to ruin anything for Les, but um, you know, part of what makes this series so great is all of the little uh, '90s Easter eggs that you see in there, from the music to the pop culture references. The focus on Dennis Rodman in particular as a cultural icon was fascinating because. Um, his the narrative of Dennis Rodman is his crazy hair, his dressing up in women's clothing, uh, his dating Madonna, uh, Carmen Ele- Carmen Electra, who looks fantastic by the way, makes an appearance in this because there's a great story about Jordan coming to the hotel room that she and Dennis Rodman were in. Like there's there's so many of those types of nuggets and stories. But what was interesting about Rodman is that he's this cartoon character in pop culture. But he's also literally one of the greatest defensive players and rebounders in the history of the game. And he's a Hall of Fame player. Like he is, he's a nut. Don't get me wrong. He's totally, you know, insane on some level. But but he's also great. And and I think that that's the other part of this too that, that really stood out to me was seeing characters be characters in a non-Twitter, non-social yeah. media world. Um, because this team, and, and it begs the question too, and, and Les, I'd love your thoughts on this too, as someone who hates sports as much as you do, as, <laughs> as, both, a, as both a coach and a guy who's on a, a football podcast <laughs> network. But I think it's interesting to, it, it's a thought experiment and there's no way to test it. But, you know, could I wonder if, the distraction of the internet and the the wider media and social networking and all those things. I wonder, could the Bulls or could any team in any professional sport have achieved that prolonged, consistent level of greatness in an environment like that? Now, you, you see that, for instance, in the NFL with the Patriots. But the, the you know a team with fifty three people on a squad is very different to me than you know an NBA team that has twelve players total, um, a football team that is a twenty two man squad in the Premier. You know, like I I, I wonder if I, I watched that thing thinking to myself and thinking about all the players I follow on Instagram and all these other things who've got bits going constantly. Is there an argument to be made that? regardless of how hard they work and how much they do that inevitably their focus and attention on creating a brand and an awareness and a social media presence, it has to somewhat detract away from some of those individual and team goals as an athlete on some level, doesn't it? I think, I think it just becomes sanitized. 
because you, you see now in football you, there's not many characters I know it's a, it's a dead old cliche to say but yeah. there used to be a lot of characters who were football players and you know because they weren't constantly on social media surveillance for 24 hours a day you would just get little snippets of like oh yeah they were, they were caught out the other night and they've done this that and the other and it just yeah. into this persona I think the way social media is managed now and the way sport are managed now I mean even the guy um, says at the start doesn't he it, it's not it's not the team that wins it's the it's the organisation that wins yeah and he gets loads of pelters for things like that but that's a lot of the way it's gone um, it, it becomes all about you're part of this team you're part of this brand you will adhere to how this brand represents itself you're a representative of it now and I just think you, you probably wouldn't get Dennis Rodman being caught sort of you know knocking about in women's clothes or you know being quite that wacky probably rein him in to some degree I would imagine and I think even even down to the way you're saying like the NBA now isn't what it was then it was you know it was a lot tougher back then Premier League's the same football's exactly the same if you look footage from the 90s it's like a totally different game to what it is now yeah, it, yeah. it's so different and I don't just mean the baggy shirts and really baggy shorts either <laughs> thing just seems completely different so I think I think what we're getting now is just a more sanitised version of everything because, you know, you, you see, like, you look at Jolien Lascott. Was it Jolien Lascott? Tweet something like this to his PR fella. Um, was it was it Jolien Lascott who said that? Or was it someone else? Um, Jolien Lascott, I know, was the one who posted the picture of the car that one time or something. In his pocket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there, was, there was one footballer who, like, tweeted to his agent, can you tweet something like this? And he yeah. just copied and pasted the whole tweet. Oh, yes. To say, can you tweet something like... So, yeah, I think you just get agents and PR companies taking it over and it becomes much more sanitised. And it loses something from it, doesn't it? Because as you see, that team, it is full of characters and egos, but it works. Because on some level, they can all get on with each other for the duration of that game to make it work. Um, but now you, you don't really see that with clubs, do you? You very rarely see anything past what you're allowed to see by the yeah. club. See, that's you a know, really interesting before, point. The media training. But yet, yeah, because Dennis Rodman actually says a number of times throughout it that Phil Jackson, not the Bulls, but Phil Jackson, his coach, lets him be him. You know what I mean? It, you know, it, and it, and that to an extent, obviously, he conforms in that you know he's got to be a practice and that type of stuff. But he still allows him to be him, and he he accepts the fact, you know, that he's he's a bit eccentric, and you know, he won't always follow suit. But when he's out on the court, he does what he's there to do, and and I think that's the difference. So that that whole sanitization it's something that drives me mad because imagine how much more amazing interviews we get, you know, as as journalists, as people who work in media, you know, with the club. It'd be off the scale. When Matt did um, Through with the Blue with Dave Prentice. Yeah. When he was talking from the Echo. So when he was talking about when he started at the Echo, he was like, You will build up these relationships with the manager, the players. He, he there wasn't there wasn't necessarily the turnover of managers and staff there is now. Although Evan did start in the nineties, where we were getting rid of managers left, right, and centre. But he said you 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 did get sort of in that inner sanctum, especially being a local journalist, and that's pretty much gone now. You you kind of get, and we're sort of suffering from that, aren't we? Because footballers aren't worth listening to. No, I don't I don't know what it's like in other sports, Rob, especially over there. Yeah. Is it is it still is it very you know sanitised? Yeah. So I think to a degree, to a large degree, yeah. Because in a 
in a in a world where you can get ratioed real fast on Twitter or on social media for mm. saying the slightest thing that is too far to you know uh, one one pole or another on anything. Um, players are now so managed, and you have to remember this too. You know, there were a time in professional sports where you know the player was acquired and they had probably an agent. And then they signed for a team and then the manager, the coach, whomever, that's the, the, the organization just generally is like, all right, you know, that's the relationship. Now, high profile athletes have their agent, they have a manager, they have uh, a marketing firm, they have a, they have a media team, they have, uh, you know, PR reps, they have a, a social, you know, people who they contract to do their social media for them. And they become entities as opposed to people. Um, and they're de-incentivized from having an opinion, you know, like the, the criticism for a lot of years uh, for people like Taylor Swift, for instance, is that she was apolitical, uh, that she is this huge, you know, this massively singularly popular pop star who until very recently didn't want to have opinions about anything. And you kind of understand because she's like, look. I'm just trying to make my money and do my job. And Jordan, and by the way, this is addressed in the documentary as well. He took a lot of grief for not using his platform to advocate more forcefully for other African-Americans, uh, you know, causes, uh, you know, black athletes, black people in general. Um, and But at the same time, you could almost see his rationale of like, look, I don't delve into politics because... Uh, at the end of the day, all I care about is basketball and being great at that and and making a living from that. And I'm not going to risk, you know, he was risk averse even then. So now take the environment we have now where the microscope is even you know more pronounced. Players are just so it's so hammered into them just to not say anything yeah. um, to the point where they say nothing at all of interest or it's hard to get insight on them. Um, and very few players step outside of that paradigm. And, and we talked about this before, and I'm not saying anything controversial, but you know, Everton in particular uh, are one of those clubs that have a very tight leash, at least on the men's side. You know, when they want to promote, you know, when they want to try and boost an audience, we talked about this, Kate, with the ladies, you know, they'll they'll give access to them because they want people to talk about them. But I, I think Everton would do well to allow more access to their players to do things like talking about non-football related subject. Like, I, I don't need to ask... Uh, you know, I don't really want to, I, I don't need to ask necessarily Leighton Baines about uh, something super controversial, uh, but I've, and I've told, you know, Les knows this too, but my dream has been to actually sit down and just have a chat with him about music. Yeah. But even those kinds of opportunities are so curtailed because of the control that not only the clubs have, but the players themselves are just like, I, there's, it's, this is a losing proposition mm -hmm. for me to put any personal part of myself out there because I, I just don't want the trouble or the hassle of it. And, and, and so understanding this team of characters in a time where they could be characters is, is certainly a fascinating case study. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, it is sanitized less to your point. It certainly is. Um, okay, 
Uh, I could talk about this pod, this uh, documentary series. Like, I would love to do a document, a podcast. It's a, it's almost like the joke my wife have and I about doing a podcast about podcasts. I'd like to do a documentary <laughs> series of our reaction to the documentary series, The Last Dance. But uh, in closing, I, I wanted to ask you guys for some recommendations uh, as well. Um, documentaries have become something that I've gotten into a little bit more during uh, this this pandemic. Um, and I've always kind of gravitated towards really dark murder mystery type ones uh, for whatever reason. So sports is a nice way to kind of lighten it and change it a little bit. But uh, I also like historical ones as well. I'm just going to ask you guys a simple question. Um, other than the last dance, and, and unless you're you're not even uh, you've just started it as well. But uh, tell me a documentary. It can be on any subject. That uh, our listeners and, and me included, uh, t- tell me tell me something that we should watch. Les, I'm going to start with you. Give me a documentary that <laughs> you absolutely think that we should watch and uh, and uh, that that you love for whatever reason. Okay, so the one that immediately springs to mind is Supersonic, the Oasis documentary. Ah, uh, very which good. takes their rise to from. Obscurity in Manchester to I think it cuts off at Nebworth in the end. Um, mm-hmm. It's that where they hit their absolute peak. I think it was about seven fifty thousand people across three days or two days at Nebworth, of which I was one. Um, and it's just it, it it's just footage and um, images and audio footage of them spliced together to just make this one constant story that takes you right through where they came from, where they got to. And then you know where he went after that. Um, so I think that was that was the first one that sprung to mind for me. It's just I loved it. I've watched it so many times. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, it's it falls into that category of documentaries because that one is a singular film as opposed to a series. But it definitely falls into that category of documentaries that you find yourself watching over and over again because it's in, it's just entertaining for whatever reason. You know, my only thing with Supersonic uh, is that uh, I joke sometimes like um, um, what was the, there was a recent movie made about a biopic film made about NWA, a uh, straight out of Compton, right? Like with where there, there's a certain time where depending if the subject matter is also the producer of the film, uh, that sometimes it's very much like a, the winners write the history sort of a thing. Like I noticed in supersonic yeah. that it was, the footage is incredible and the storytelling of their journey is great. But it does conveniently leave out a lot of the just shenanigans and, you know, media coverage of, of, of their, their really venomous relationship between the Gallagher brothers and stuff. But I thought, well, that part's interesting that you conveniently leave out some of these things. But I also still think that is a story of a band and how, like, I didn't realize that Oasis had really genuinely come, like... They kind of, it was just sort of, you know, they started playing. It was thrown together. They asked Noel to join. And like, it just, it's like a guy, it's like the old school model of discovering bands where, you know, they're playing in a club and a guy from a label hears them and is like, you guys should be in a regular real contract. And it's a great story. Uh, and that, and also a great snapshot of that time period. Um, I've also heard just to that, I've heard this theory that, um, Definitely, maybe is actually an album, a concept album about that rise to stardom. So, mm. stars about them dreaming of it. You get to Colombia, and that's where the drugs all kick in. You get to rock and roll where they've made it, and then you get to marriage with children at the end. And that is the life cycle of a band. Oh, 
it's a nice theory. I don't believe it, but it's a, it's a nice theory. Yeah, I'd have to apply a, quite a bit of an intellectual bent to to the Gallagher's to believe that that's what they were going for. But Knowles, <laughs> Knowles a smart, Knowles a relatively shrewd guy. Maybe he did that. Uh, another related documentary I'd also recommend is Live Forever, which is really more about the entire scene of, of English music in the 90s, uh, which definitely takes a more critical view of like, like for instance, in Supersonic, they don't, they don't mention at, at any time the Blur, Oasis, uh, you know, issue and, and what that was about. But uh, Live Forever really examines like the ties between that music and how some of them got a little too cozy, like Noel Gallagher or uh, Noel Gallagher did with, with uh, Tony Blair and the Labor Party and like some of the, and the media coverage and the drug culture and all that. But uh, no, really, really, really good stuff. I love music documentaries. Um, Kate, documentary that, that we should absolutely watch. Oh, that you're going to, you're going to, really really regret asking me this because i'm going to challenge you as you challenge me to watch the last dance and it's taken over the last two days of my life okay including my kids i want you to watch the september issue right which is it's a one-off it's a kind of you know jockey film if you like and it basically follows the process um and in the shadows of anna winter uh who 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 is was yeah the uh, the u.s vogue uh editor-in-chief um, and because from a cultural, um, from like a, a fashion cultural point of view, um, it, it came out, I think it was 2009, um, it picks up on uh, and cameos loads of incredible designers that were doing amazing things that were popping up in in other industries than just fashion at the time. So the likes of Karl Lagerfeld, uh, photographer Mario Testino. So the chances are there will be um, there will be people involved there of imagery that you've seen involved in every you know like perfume or or aftershave or, or cologne for you, Rob uh, adverts and things. <laughs> and you know it's when you go back and you look at the likes of like um, George Michael and Faith and he used is like the four biggest top supermodels in the world to you know to promote a, a, a music video um and it's just whilst it's people might think that it's quite haughty because it's you know it's fashion and it's egos and all the rest and she's very much seen as being completely untouchable not mm. that dissimilar to jordan in terms of being at the top of the game and that nobody's knocking her off that pedestal it, it I, th- I just think kind of like from a culture point of view if you're not massively like interested in fashion there is it pulls in so many different people from right across the continent it's not just in you know you know in new york rather in the states um that i think it it might kind of like open your eyes a little bit about what goes on in the whole fashion industry that was interesting another, that was okay. another very 90s thing wasn't it the whole super yeah. thing yeah Brent, well, yeah definitely off models purely because they were that ubiquitous they were everywhere yeah yeah that... watch it yeah Yes, love. Oh, well. Cindy Cindy Crawford and Kathy Ireland were a <laughs> massive part of my 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 formative years, if you will. <laughs> Everyone had Cindy Crawford's workout video. Everybody. Oh. And if not, you borrowed your book when you were starting no, off school. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one. So the one I. Uh, gosh, I've, I I think the one. I mean. The one I would recommend, and I probably I'm thinking of this because I, it came out a few years ago, and they and it was it ended up winning uh, the Oscar for best documentary feature uh, or the Academy Award for best documentary feature was uh, OJ OJ Made in America. Oh God, of course. Uh, um, OJ Made in America is not a sports documentary, though it is an ESPN documentary, um, an ESPN Films documentary. But to call it a sports documentary would is really very 
it's you're only like 20% right. Uh, because yes, he happened to be an athlete. But the story, the documentary itself, I think it's, I want to say it's like a five part maybe. Um, but it's, I think it's totals out to a little less than eight hours. So it's like five parts, whatever. Um, I think it's on Netflix. I'm not totally sure. But um, it is the story about him. Yes. But it's really a story also about America, fame, race, race in Los Angeles specifically. Um, you know, you don't even get to the murder trial until later on in the documentary series. And even that becomes a broader discussion of, of you know, relationship between, uh, you know, minority communities and the police in Los Angeles, in Los Angeles um, you know, what it means to be uh, a black person who is trying to be famous uh, and accepted by white, white culture. And it's, but it's it's so well done, and it, it has so many um, you know cultural icons and figures that are a part of it. Uh, but the storytelling is great, and I learned. I thought you think that whenever a big event happens, like the murder, you know, the OJ trial, just obviously yeah. was like an atomic bomb being dropped on American culture in the mid '90s. But y you you think you know everything about a subject, kind of like in the Last Dance, where I thought, well, I know who Jordan is, uh, but. You really learn a lot more. O.J. Made in America is a story of America, uh, but also of of the world uh, in terms of how uh, certain people fit into it and the abuses of fame. And it's it is it's just a, a fantastic watch. And I guess kind of adjacent to that would be the um, FX series American Crime Story that they did called uh, on 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 the O.J. Simpson trial with like Cuba Gooding Jr. and uh, John Travolta. Like the cast is great for that too but uh no i highly recommend that uh for sure um god guys i i thought we might get to something else but documentary talk has just been <laughs> so fruitful today there's, there's um one more, there's one more of uh, all or nothing about brazil all or nothing about yeah, brazil it's about the current brazil team national team richardson features heavily in it okay oh yeah i've not seen it it's meant to be really good all or Nothing is a, a, a series that they, they do like a profile. They have access to a new team each season. Like there's an All or Nothing about the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, there's an, I think, is it Manchester City had one? Is that the one where everyone oh, yeah, got, true. Yeah. got convinced that Fabian Delph would be the great leader <laughs> for us and then he wasn't? So, uh, yeah. Well, guys, this has been fantastic. I uh, hope everyone's enjoyed documentary talk. Uh, I think we said the word Everton at least four or five times today. So. <laughs> Something like that. So for 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 the uh, for my landlords who are who are definitely counting that um, you know hopefully that was uh, uh, satisfactory uh, guys uh, coming up on the blue room and the blue room extra this weekend we have got just so much so much content you know because content is king as you know because we're all waiting to to get the uh, Joe Rogan one hundred million dollar contract with Spotify so content is king <laughs> as you know. Um, We've got uh, coming up this weekend, Les. I know you uh, will, as always, will be hosting Mailbag, um, and we will have, I know, an episode of the 11s probably coming up soon. Uh, we'll have the weekly, the subs week. I mean, there's just so much. So for those of you who, especially, who are getting back out there, you're exercising again, you're starting to shave and do your hair well again, and you need something to listen to while you get back into uh, into the rhythm of life. Uh, the Blue Room has got you guys covered. So. Uh, for Kate and for Les, thank you guys so much. I'm Rob Vera. We will see you again next week for more Kickabout. Take care. Progressive presents Married to Your Home. 
I'm disgusting. Oh, House, don't say that. You could live someplace so much better than me. That's not true. Oh, yeah? Look at these uneven stairs. Gross. House, you know I don't care. Ugh, and the squeaky door hinge. I think it's cute. No matter how much you already love your house, you'll love it more knowing you could save big bundling your home and auto with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Sports Social Podcast Network.